Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your eternal word and the good news it brings to bear on our lives even today. May your spirit be present in preaching and hearing, and may anything that does not bring you glory fall away. Amen. Does the church ever change? This is an incredibly old institution, maybe even the oldest in Western history. And it certainly has a reputation for stagnancy, for being a little stuck in the past or slow to adapt. Some critics might say, sure, little things change. The date of the annual picnic or songs inside the hymnal, but church doctrine, the meaty stuff, that, that certainly doesn't change. So along comes author Gary Willis, and he poses this question in a book that he wrote about the Catholic Church. And in the face of all these critics, he writes, to say that the church will never change, it helps not to know much history. So for better or worse, in ways big and small, superficially and occasionally doctrinally, the church has always changed. To quote Willis again, change is the respiration of the church, its way of breathing in and breathing out. And our text for today tells an early story of change. The story really starts at the beginning of chapter 10. We're introduced to a man named Cornelius, and Cornelius is a Roman centurion, a commander of the ancient Roman army. He's a powerful man who embodies what it means to be a Gentile. He's a non-Jew. He's like a super Greek. And somewhat surprisingly, he worships God, Yahweh. Scripture tells us that he's a devout man who feared God, gave generously, and prayed constantly. And one afternoon, he has this vision of an angel. And the angel commands him to send his men to go find Peter, the disciple, and bring him to see Cornelius. And he did as he was told. The men went to go find Peter. Now, meanwhile, in Joppa, Peter was having a mysterious experience of his own. While he was praying on the roof, he had a vision. And this is where things get really strange. In his vision, he sees a large sheet coming down from heaven, lifted by its four corners. And inside of this sheet are all kinds of animals, a huge mix. Some of them would have been deemed clean under traditional Jewish dietary laws, and some would have been deemed unclean. A seminary professor of mine used to call this the story of the great meat blanket. And Peter sees this vision three times. And each time he insists that he would never touch anything profane or unclean. And then a voice from heaven booms down. What God has made clean, you must not call profane. It's like God is saying these categories that you know so well they don't work anymore. You have to think bigger. Peter is then awoken from this vision by three men tapping him on the shoulder. And this is where Cornelius's story and Peter's story converge. The men relay the whole story about Cornelius to Peter, and they all begin their journey back to Cornelius's house. 
and there's a whole crowd of Gentiles waiting for them. Cornelius runs to the front and falls at Peter's feet. If we look at this story through a historical lens, we'll see how truly unusual this scene would have been. A Jewish person and a Gentile were not supposed to be gathering together. Peter addresses the crowd saying, you know that it's unlawful for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. And he launches into a sermon telling the Gentiles about Jesus and resurrection and prophets and forgiveness. And he's gaining steam and the story is building. It almost seems like he's about to break into an altar call when suddenly he's cut short by the Holy Spirit. All these people, these gathered Gentiles, these people thought to be outside the reach of God's covenantal promise, outside the scope of God's embrace, these people then receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They're brought into the fold. The barriers that separated Jewish Christ followers and Gentiles come tumbling down. What God has made clean, you must not call profane. Father, Greg Boyle is a Jesuit priest who founded a gang intervention program in LA called Homeboy Industries. And this program has been active for over 30 years and is currently run and managed entirely by former gang members. Central to its mission is this theme of radical kinship, of family, of seeing one another as siblings in Christ. And this applies to the former gang members, often members of warring gangs who now work side by side in job training programs, making croissants in the bakery or learning how to install solar panels. But it also applies to therapists and substance abuse counselors, the board of directors and the people who answer the phone. They're all called to see each other and see the clients they serve through this lens of kinship. And a mutualism is formed. No one leaves work at the end of the day unchanged. Father Boyle says, we work with a population that nobody desires to work with. And it's a principle of this place that we stand with them in kinship. These are people whose society has deemed unreachable and dangerous. Yet Homeboy Industries, at Homeboy Industries, they're called beloved brother, sister, sibling, son, daughter, and child. With a twinkle in his eye, Father Boyle tells the story of Louis, an 18-year-old in his program who's notoriously rough around the edges. He often misses shifts at work, and when he does show up, he's quick to complain. Well, one day, Louis and Father Boyle were talking about work. Louis is complaining a little bit, and then out of the blue, he asks Father Boyle for a blessing. Now, perhaps he was trying to curry favor, get on Father Boyle's good side, but either way, Father Boyle obliged. Louis comes around the desk and Father Boyle places a hand on his shoulder. He said, you know, Louis, I'm proud to know you. And my life is richer 
because you came into it. And when you were born, the world became a better place. And I'm proud to call you my son. As humans, we come pre-programmed with this urge to sort and categorize. It can help us make sense of the world, make meaning, find clarity. It can help us predict and anticipate outcomes. And all throughout the history of the church, we've let this influence our doctrines and our theologies. We've let this urge to sort, draw circles around God's love saying, surely those people are outside of God's reach. Surely they aren't included in God's covenantal promises, God's loving kindness. But over and over again, the Holy Spirit takes those circles, those limits, and blows them away. So does the church ever change? Yes. The whole history of the church, beginning in the book of Acts, beginning at Pentecost, and our passage for today is a story of the Holy Spirit tearing down the walls that divide, blowing away the limits we place on God's love, showing up in surprising places and daring us to enter more deeply into radical kinship, ever widening the circles. I want to bring us back to the very first mention of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. It's in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Before God made heaven and earth, the earth was dark and formless, and a wind from God swept over the face of the deep, the breath of God, the Holy Spirit swirling around in the darkness. And then in our text for today, the Holy Spirit crashes the party, breaks down the barriers of inclusion for the Gentiles. And we'll hear about the Spirit again at Pentecost, when it comes down from heaven with the rush of a violent wind as tongues of fire resting on all those gathered, and this huge, diverse group are baptized and sent out to love and serve. You see this Spirit work. It's often wild. It's often chaotic and a little unsettling. But as the spirit breaks down barriers, it also builds up new futures. It creates kinship where kinship felt impossible. It creates creation out of a formless void. It's that runaway train feeling that we've all encountered at one point or another, slightly terrifying, but also exciting. Maybe you're an artist or a poet or a writer who's been flooded with an idea that will create beauty in the world. Or maybe you've stepped out boldly with love or fallen headfirst in love. Maybe you've taken a huge risk and found the place where your great joy meets the world's great need. Maybe you've become a parent, an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, a mentor, a teacher, then you know the feeling. It's that feeling when the old comfort zone falls away and is replaced by an entirely new, broader horizon. And the circle gets wider. The very last sentence of our text for today helps to ground this runaway spirit train. 
After all is said and done, after the walls are torn down, the Gentiles are grafted onto God's holy tree through spirit and baptism. The Gentiles invite Peter to stay with them for several days, to break bread and share conversation, and to see each other as siblings in Christ, to live in kinship with one another. Or as the theologian Willie Jennings wrote, in the home of Cornelius, a rip in the fabric of space and time has occurred. A rip that will open up endless new possibilities of life with others. In the name of the creator and the savior and the sustainer. Amen.